Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Friday the 27th of October with me, Bernadette Anderko. Today I'm joined on the show by Alexander Peterson, who's going to bring us up to speed on the main events moving the markets. And our head of fixed income research, Marcus Allensbach, is going to examine yesterday's European central bank decision and its impact. And finally, Bense Bolvoy joins us for our weekly visit to the world of FX and metals. So let's kick off the Friday edition of Moving Markets with the latest moves. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Bernadette. So, Alex, yesterday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen spoke hours after data showed that the U.S. economy grew. What can you tell me about this, please? Indeed, the U.S. economy grew at an annualized rate of 4.9% in the third quarter, the fastest pace in almost two years. In an interview after the data was released, she said she believed the recent rise in longer-term bond yields reflected the strength of the U.S. economy rather than a surge in government borrowing. She believes that the U.S. economy is showing resilience and that interest rates are likely to stay higher for longer. Yellen also cautioned that it is not clear that long-term yields will remain higher for an extended period of time. Bond market participants have pointed to the sharp increase in the federal deficit as a key factor behind the rise in yields. Yellen believes that the U.S. is on a path to a soft landing with inflation coming down without a recession. Quickly turning to Europe, the ECB left rates unchanged, but I'm sure that Marcus will give us more color on that in just a minute. Indeed, he will. Uh, now, sticking with the US, how have the bond markets reacted to the data and uh, Janet Yellen's comments? Initially, yields dipped on Thursday despite the stronger than expected increase in the third quarter gross domestic product. Ten-year yields were down about 11 basis points at a yield of 4.85%. Two-year Treasury yields are currently yielding around 5.04%. Okay, so um, moving on to earnings, there's a lot out, but uh, there's a big focus on tech stocks and uh, Amazon reported its earnings, which have shown strong results and pointed towards a boost in the cloud business. What can you tell us about this? Yes, so CEO Andy Jesse said that Amazon's strategy has proven effective this year with deep cost cuts and a focus on boosting profits. The company's third quarter revenue increased 13% to $143 billion, beating analysts' estimate. The strong results also pointed towards a boost in the cloud business. Its cloud computing unit, AWS, reported a 12% increase in sales and higher operating income than what was expected. Jesse also hinted the cloud division is regaining momentum and the demand for generative artificial intelligence is likely to boost division in the future. The company's stock rose 5% in extended trading after the results were released. Okay, so um, moving across to Asia, there's been some news out about uh, so-called Chinese snowball derivatives, which are structured products linked to Chinese indices, and they now seem to be at risk of losses. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Indeed, there has been some news on this front. If the CSI small cap 500 index falls by 10%, investors in complex snowball derivatives could face losses at maturity. These derivatives, which promise bond-like coupons as long as the underlying asset trades within a certain range, have become popular in China and South Korea. When the knock-in level is reached, brokers may rush to liquidate hedging positions. And what's the impact on markets? That is not 100% clear yet. Regulators have tightened their grip on these derivatives to prevent them from being marketed to retail investors. So the impact on the spot stock market might be limited. Okay, we'll have to watch this space then there. Um, following on from that, how are Asian markets looking this morning? The Asia-Pacific markets are mostly trading up. 
the Chinese CSI 300 trades on Friday morning in the green with a plus of 1%. The Japanese Nikkei 225 trades up with a plus of 1.2%. India's Nifty 50 trades also a little up, while Hong Kong's Hang Seng is around up 1.4%. Okay, sounds like good news. Uh, so lastly, Alex, what's coming up today and what should investors be looking out for? So looking ahead to the rest of the day, investors will be paying close attention to the U.S. month-on-month personal income and year-on-year PCA core deflators. In addition to this, Germany will release its retail sales figures. Uh, Earnings seasons is well underway with ABV, Any, ExxonMobil and Colgate among those reporting today. And that's pretty much all for today's wrap-up. Thank you, Bernadette. Back to you. Great. Thanks, Alex, for the update. So we've heard it. The ECB didn't cut rates yesterday, and we're lucky enough to be joined by Marcus Allensbach to dive a little deeper into this today. Good morning, Marcus. Good morning, Bernadette. So the ECB left rates unchanged as expected. What's worth mentioning from your side? Well, there was a dovish undertone. ECB President Lagarde stressed that the financial transmission works forcefully and there is downside risk for growth. They also committed to reinvest maturing securities from the board during the pandemic. And they also didn't say anything about the minimum reserve requirements. Okay, so it seems to be more important what the ECB didn't communicate then. No acceleration of balance sheet reduction, no increase of minimum reserve requirement. Why is there so much talk about minimum reserve requirement? Perhaps you could explain Look, in the last couple of years, the European Central Banks bought up to 5 billion of securities. They bought government bonds, corporate bonds, corporate bonds, and they financed that with 0% deposits or even negative interest rate deposits. And thanks to that strategy, they could generate an extra profit of up to 27 billion, of which they shifted 24 billion to the national treasurers. And now, of course, interest rates have increased. They pay 4% on deposits, so the, the extra windfall profits have gone and the treasurers ask to generate more of that. And as the ECB pays no interest on required reserves, there is the idea that if you lift that minimum reserve requirements, the interest calculation would improve. Okay, so do I understand correctly then? It's, it's not about monetary or financial stability. It's only about profit or losses at the national central banks. Exactly, Bernadette. They pay 4% and 3.6% deposits and zero interest rates on this 160 billion minimum reserve requirement. So the idea is if you increase these minimum reserve requirements, the, the block of interest rate free money for the ECB is going to increase. But I doubt that the ECB will accept that. I mean, the central bankers don't consider themselves as a cash cow for the treasurers. And as you mentioned, there is no stability consideration behind it. It's just balance sheet and national financial strategy behind it. So I think it's it's a good decision from the ECB not to give in here. Okay, then. So if we're summarizing the ECB, we're not expecting rate hikes anymore, but are we expecting rate cuts now? Exactly. Bernadette, the next move we expect from the ECB are rate cuts sometimes next year. Just look at it. In Europe, we have more of a stagnation. This transmission mechanism really works forcefully. We couldn't agree more with Lagarde here. Loan growth is negative. Uh, Lending conditions are tightening. We see the household suffering from the higher cost of mortgages. 
We have weaker capital spending, so we really don't have any reason to raise rates. And we expect headline inflation and core inflation to slow. So for us, it's only a question of time until we see the first rate cuts from the ECB. Okay, so in the euro market, I know that you're open to adding um, duration risk. So, you know, extending out along the maturity spectrum, but still not credit risk. And you have to, until now had the same strategy in the US. Are, are you sticking with that now as we're seeing close to 5% growth in the in the third quarter? Yes, I wouldn't exaggerate this uh, 5% growth in the third quarter. Bernadette, last year we had two quarters of contraction and nobody yelled recession. Second point, I mean, we, we have inventory accumulation. We have strong private consumption, yes, but a lot of that is financed with these savings. They are not lasting forever. And a lot came from fiscal stimulus. And, you know, we have more or less a new speaker of the house who doesn't want to increase spending, rather cut spending. So we still, to our preference, we like quality uh, in an environment where we think growth is coming down. And we like duration because also in the U.S. we think interest rates are peaking. Okay, uh, one final question before you go, Marcus. The surge in government bond yields that we've seen recently has been quite impressive. When do you think this is going to reverse? I mentioned before, we think that the growth in the third quarter was exaggerated. So we expect more economic tailwinds for the bond market. That means a softening. Think about the strike we have and now the fiscal situation. Uh, we think about the private sector consumption is going too slow. So that the recession debate will re-emerge. And that, of course, is something that softens uh, the upward move on bond yields. The second point is, I think currently what we have seen was a lot of positions squaring. Unfortunately, in the middle of the year, we had a very bullish consensus that bond yields have to go down. So a lot of institutional investors added duration via futures. You remember that period when the futures got too much expensive versus the underlying bonds and the hedge funds opened this base trade. So we think a lot of these future positions have been shed, which of course has aggravated the situation on the bond market. So I think it, we have seen a lot of the excesses. I'm not really sure whether to say, hey, now it's, it's uh, the never ring a bell at the bottom, you know, Bernadette. But think about it, in about three weeks' time, we get the October inflation. If I look at what we have at the moment, gasoline prices are coming down, some early indicator of inflation showing some softening. Hey, if we have, again, headline inflation coming down together with the softer economic reading, I really believe on a six-month horizon, you can pretty uh, comfortably say that bond yields will be lower than they are at the very moment. So I stick to my call for quality and longer duration bonds. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your insights, Marcus. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. My pleasure. And now, of course, it's Friday, so it's time for our weekly FX roundup. And today that's provided by Bense Bolvoy. Good morning, Bense. Good morning, Bernadette. So, uh, Bense, geopolitics still seem to be the leading factor in the market, just like last week. Would you agree that this is also the case for FX? Yes, um, certainly. But also data makes its dance on FX moves. We had another packed week and the mood seems to be clear. It is risk off, which as no surprise, benefiting safe haven currencies, mainly the US dollar, the Swissy, not to mention gold. OK, so given that it's the last work day of the week, is there anything else uh, due today we should be watching out for? 
even though it is Friday on the data front, we are not done yet, as the Fed's favorite measure of inflation, the core personal consumption expenditures price index, which excludes volatile food and fuel costs, is due today, which might have some pointers regarding what the Fed might do next week. Just to note, Fed's rate decision is due next week on 1st of November, and currently the market is expecting no change. As Marcus mentioned, the ECB did what was expected, nothing, and Madame Lagarde offered rinse and repeat phrases like before we regards to future policies. Eurodollar was trading downwards ahead the decision and then was stuck in the range. I particularly enjoy when she tries to have a hawkish bias after holding rates, as she said, the fact that we're holding doesn't mean we won't hike again. And what about other parts of the world? It's very good that you ask. Over at the, end of, at the land of the rising sun, dollar-yen is again over the 150 level. At this point, no real surprise, but given past lessons, I would not jump on it and start selling. Remember, never catch a falling knife. I would rather sell into it once it decides to go. And I always feel assured whenever I hear financial minister Suzuki's words, watching FX moves with the sense of urgency as usual. BOJ's decision is due next week on 31st of October, and I don't expect much of a change nor does the market. Down under, the Aussie weakness is just pain, and it is suffering from the perfect mix of factors, such as dovish comments by Governor Michel Bullock, data, mainly the Q3 import-export price releases as terms of trade and worsen more than expected on a large increase in import prices, the strong dollar, and China's negative outlook. But at these levels, especially with the US dollar strength, Going long might not be so bad. Okay. Um, any thoughts on gold? Very glad that you've asked, Bernadette. Gold has had quite a run, and if one is long, might consider taking profit and investing the proceeds in a capital-protected note. By doing so, one keeps the upside participation, yet is also protected. I think at these levels, about $60 or so is risk premium that is priced in, fueled by the Israel-Gaza conflict. I always tell clients, Nobody ever got pulled by taking profit. That would be it from my side. Thank you for having me. Wishing you a lovely Friday and a happy weekend ahead. Thanks so much for your thoughts today, Bense. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Um, I'd like to thank my guests for contributing and you, of course, for listening. And I'd also like to wish you all a lovely weekend. And don't forget to come back on Monday and join me when I'll be back with more guests to tell you about what's moving markets. Meanwhile, good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.